Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. You are not a thousand, million, billion, trillion miles from God. You are one step, one turn, and he's right there. In this age of knowing our rights and wanting a fair deal, we can miss that little bit about responsibilities. When something doesn't go well, we can be a little keen to play the blame game. But really, we are going to have to take responsibility for our own decisions. This is the race of life. You got it. No blame game allowed. Dr. Corbett is in Ezekiel chapter 18 tonight to look at our soul duty. Let's join him now. And in this section, we see Ezekiel expand on something Jeremiah said. This is your soul duty. What is the duty that you have? What is the duty that you have for your soul? And we're going to see this in Ezekiel 18. As I would say, Ezekiel 18 is one of the most profound New Testament chapters in the Old Testament that you could possibly hope to read. So we're going to pick it up in verse 2. Because verse 1 simply says, the word of the Lord came to me. So here we are, verse 2. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Verse 3. As I live, declares the Lord, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. This is a direct quote from Jeremiah chapter 31. Both of the, these two verses are taken from Jeremiah chapter 31. So he's heard the prophet already declare this to the people. So here's the, I guess, the frustration from the spirit of God's perspective. God has already said this and they didn't get it. They were still using the proverb. What, what, what do they mean? Hopefully you'll see this in, in a moment that... These people were saying, our situation is not our fault. It's not my fault. Ever heard anyone say that? <laughs> it's not my fault. And here, we might draw some lessons for this today when we consider what, what is it about a rising generation that just will not accept responsibility? Jeremiah was talking to his generation where they were saying things like, it's not our fault. It was our parents. It was our grandparents. If they hadn't done this, then we wouldn't be in this situation. So let's have a look at this because if I said to you, what's the biggest enemy of responsibility? You could, and I would, I would understand it. You would say irresponsibility. And I go, well, no, that's probably the opposite of responsibility. What's the enemy? What is it that prevents people from becoming responsible? What is it? It's this, blame. I heard the weirdest story of a husband and wife, and he was a high, he was a, uh, I think he was a surgeon, and he and his wife were, were going to a church dinner, and he's going downstairs, and he's got a he's got a casserole dish, and he trips, and his wife is following behind. He trips, and the whole thing sprays all over the floor, and he turns to his wife and says, "Now look at what you've done," and she's bewildered. And he says, if you'd only put that lid on tighter, that would never have happened. Now, all the men are looking at me like, hang on, don't interrupt. The story hasn't finished yet. Let's hear what she has to say. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is, that was completely unreasonable. But how often, men, don't, you don't have to put your hand up. How often have you done a variation of that with your wife? Now, I see those hands. 
So the enemy of responsibility is blame. Therefore, the opposite is when you accept it, when you admit it. All right. So the biggest enemy of blame is this accountability. And we're going to see Ezekiel introduces this concept in just a moment. By, by telling them this, because what happens is he begins to say this and they say to him, God is not just. Ezekiel's blown away by this. God is judging us for our sin. That's not fair. We're only sinning because our father or grandfather put us in this predicament. God is not just. Ezekiel in this chapter deliberately, intentionally and directly addresses this issue. And he says, God is just. And this whole chapter is set up to describe how just God is. What does just mean? God does what is right. God only does what is right. God always has a good reason for doing what he does and he always judges justly. So here's a concept that he's going to introduce. Not only is God just, their attitude was he would never judge us because we're Israel. We're God's people. We, the other nations, they'll, they'll get it big time on the day of judgment. They're going to get it. But we're Israel. We're his children. We're his people. He'll take it easier on us. We're all, you know, because I might be a scoundrel, but because I'm a part of Israel, I'm not going to be judged, so I'm okay. And this is what Ezekiel has to say. God is going to judge every individual justly. Every person he's going to judge justly. And what we're going to see in this chapter is that Ezekiel says things like this. Don't say your parents have eaten sour grapes and now your teeth are set on edge, which is a way of saying, don't blame your parents for your situation. You're responsible for your own life. And I know that there are going to be people who hear this and they're going to say, huh, that's all right for you. You don't know what kind of parents I've had. And, and, and that's kind of true, I don't. But I do know this. Your parents did not give you your identity. Your identity is not found in whatever abuse you may have suffered. Because there are some people and their identity is victim. And that does not have to be your identity. And you might be here thinking, well, you still don't know what happened to me. And I don't, but I know this. God can be your father. An infinitely powerful, infinitely loving, limitlessly gracious Father to you. And I hope that by the time we're done, you want to know him. And in this chapter, Ezekiel says, you know, you might start off well. The word is righteous. You might be a righteous person. But you know what? You may get tired of being righteous and you may just start doing the wrong thing. And we'll see in a moment, he lists certain things that they were doing. 
And he says, you might have started out righteous and then you decided, ah, to heck with it. I'm, I'm just going to do what everyone else is doing. And he, said, he says this, then how you finish your race will determine your eternity. How you finish is as equally important as how you run it. And here's what he's going to say about finishing well. How you can finish the race well. You have to take time out from the race to ensure that you're running in the right direction. All of these principles are found in this chapter. And we'll we'll unpack some of them in a moment. Be a horrible thing to be running a race and then look back to realise, uh-oh, I'm off course. All of these themes in Ezekiel 18 are picked up in the New Testament. We find them in Hebrews chapters 12 and 13. We find Paul talking about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He actually describes life's journey as being a race. He describes it as a race in which we all run. And here's the question which Ezekiel answers. How can you tell if someone's running their life race in the wrong direction? How can you tell? You can tell in exactly the same way it tells us in 1 John. In 1 John, the apostle says, how do you know if someone's really met God? He says, by how they treat others. He says this, If you don't love your brother who you do see, how can you claim to love the God you don't see? In other words, your professed love for God is measured by how you actually love those that God puts in your life. And Ezekiel says the same thing. He just said it way before John. It's how you treat others. So let's have a look. We're going to pick it up in verse 6 of Ezekiel 18. It's a bit of an overview of this chapter. This is what he says. If he does not eat upon the mountains. Now, eat upon the mountains. This is not God against picnics. This is not God against going for a hike and putting out the picnic blanket. Eating on the mountains was something that these people were doing in pagan worship. There were animals being sacrificed on the mountains. They were called the high places. And they were doing it for idols that were established up on the hills And they were having this meal in honour of this idol. So it's not, please don't think this is, you know, God who's got a problem with picnics. It's it's not that. And, And or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel. Does not defile his neighbor's wife. Sexual sin. Or approach a woman in her time of menstrual impurity when you are more likely to get away with sexual sin. Verse 7. Does not oppress anyone, but restores to the debtor his pledge. So in the Old System, the Old Testament, we read that if I, if I went up to Tony and said, Oh, Tony, could you lend me 50 bucks? And Tony would say, Of course. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely, he would say, <laughs> to misuse that word, Absolutely. He would, he would say, yeah, of course, you, you know the deal, Andrew. you just got to give me your coat. And I'll hold this coat because back in those days, this would be the only way I had of keeping warm. So he would hold that. The only thing is Tony would have that and then he knew that the law said every night, just as the sun was going down, he had to bring it back to me. You go, here you go, you can have it for tonight, but remember, you've got to give it back to me in the morning and when you pay me back the $50... 
I'll give you back your coat. And in the old days, the coat was the blanket. It was the source of protection. It was your shelter. So that's what's going on here. And you can imagine the person who oppresses the debtor by saying, I'm not giving you your coat. Give me my money. God has something rather stern to say about that. Commits no robbery, gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment. Verse 8. Does not lend at interest or take any profit. Take any profit from those that you're not allowed to charge interest to. And who's that? Your family. So... You know, my, I have a I, look. This is a little interpretation of this biblical principle here. But I, I have a, a policy that I don't lend my children money. How are we going, parents? You like that idea? I don't lend my children money. I give it to them. Now you might think, "Gee, you're generous." No, I don't give them that often. I don't. Just, <laughs> but I won't lend it to them. Why? Because I don't want my kids living in debt. And, and if, if, if I haven't got it to give it to them, maybe I just don't give it to them and they don't get it. But you can imagine the parents who say, yeah, sure, I'll lend you, I'll lend you um, three bucks to go out with the youth for lunch. I've just got the contract here to sign. You know, you know the deal, 18% interest every day. Um, otherwise, we you know, charge you board. And don't give me this, I'm only 12. Don't, just... just and God says, don't do that. Don't, that's, that. So that's what's in mind here, making, charging interest and making profit off those you're not supposed to do it to. Withholds his hand from injustice, executes true justice between a man and a man. Verse 9, walks in my statutes, keeps my rules by acting faithfully. He is righteous. He shall surely live, declares the Lord God. So the person who does these things, God says, they're a righteous person. They're not sexually immoral. They're not an idolater, worshipping idols. They, but notice, notice all these things. It has to do with how you treat other people. Being generous to people. Being kind to people. Not taking advantage of people, especially family members. So, why is Ezekiel saying all this? Because the people were in a situation where, where they are now exiled into a foreign land where God's word says, this will happen if you abandon me. If you forsake my ways, abandon me, I will, the, the word is quite strong, I, the, the land will vomit you out and you will be sent off to a far land. So this has now happened and the people are there and they are faced with this predicament. Either we've done something wrong or we have to find someone else to blame. And which of those two options did they take? Let's blame our ancestors. Let's blame someone else. And Ezekiel says, well, let's go through the checklist, shall we? And there's the checklist. Have you been doing those things? And their answer is really bewildering. Their answer is, no, but we couldn't help it. It was the way we were raised by our parents. It's not our fault. I'm socially dysfunctional. It's my parents' fault. 
Every problem I have is my parents' fault. You ever met anybody who thinks like that? Unfortunately, we're in a society where this is, just, this is common for people to say this. So here's, here's, some, here's something I hope will set you free. Because this is what Ezekiel says to them. Essentially, I'm paraphrasing. You are not your father. And everyone said... All right, Denise said, amen. <laughs> now, some of you need to hear that. Some of you had great dads. Some of you go, hey, I'd love to be my dad. I'd, I'd love it when I hear positive stories of people who grew up with a dad who, who just loved them and, and they were just so blessed. And, and, they, they just, just, and I know that there are people here who have dads like that. That's wonderful. But can I... Just point out, in my limited experience on earth, you are rare. And, and I find that tragic. <laughs> because most people, if, if someone said to a man, oh, you're just like your father, there would be something that rises up in him and like, don't you insult me like that. Well, here's, here's what Ezekiel says. You're not your father. Here's a newsflash. You're you. Oh, is this a revelation to anyone? You are you. God's going to deal with you for what you've done. And maybe there are some here who have just developed a lifestyle where you don't own any of your problems. You blame someone else for everything. There are some people who have this posture of blame, and Ezekiel is addressing this. Notice what he says here in verse 4. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. What's he saying? I know about your dad, but I know about you. I'm not going to judge you from what your dad did. I'm holding you accountable for what you've done. God doesn't have grandchildren. God only has children. And your dad may have been a child of God. And your granddad may have been a child of God. And they may have gone to church all their respective lives. And so what? What's that got to do with you and God? God doesn't have grandchildren. Just because your dad was a child of God doesn't mean you're his grandchild. God doesn't have grandchildren he only has children. And this is what he's saying here in verse 4. Behold, all souls are mine, the soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Ouch. What does this die mean? It doesn't mean they're going to be killed. Die is used in the Bible to speak of separated. The soul who sins has cut off their relationship with God. Verse 19. Yet you say, why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? We're suffering. Our, our parents blew it and we're the ones paying the price. Ezekiel, can't you see that? <laughs> when the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall surely live. So your dad could have been, and you, you just you fill in the blanks, uneducated, criminal, 
drug addict, whatever you want to, whatever you want to label your parents or parent or dad as. And you might think, therefore, I was always going to be. And I heard someone say this. Two people, one person who drank alcohol, one person who didn't drink alcohol. The one person who drank alcohol to the point where they had become an alcoholic said this, of course I'm an alcoholic. Of course. Because my father was an alcoholic. This person said, of course I don't drink because my father was an alcoholic. Can you see in both cases, the father is not to blame. Choice. Choice is to blame. So God will hold individuals to account for what they've done. Knowing this should cause you (laughs) to say, Oh God, can we settle accounts now? Can I encourage you to settle your accounts now with God rather than the day of judgment? Settle accounts now. If you know that you have not measured up, and isn't that all of us? <laughs> Can't you say, God, I'm not blaming anyone anymore. I'm saying I'm standing here. I'm guilty as charged. I need your forgiveness. Please, come and cleanse me. I want to be forgiven. Verse 20. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Isn't that just? God's not going to judge you because your son, your your children blew it, or he's not going to judge you because your parents blew it. He knows how to perfectly justly deal with you you will get infinite justice on the day of judgment now that could be bad news if you haven't had an advocate bear that justice for you and jesus christ is described as the advocate the one who stands in verse 23 notice this have i any pleasure in the death of the wicked that's a rhetorical question declares the lord god and not rather that he should turn from his way and live you know it's contrasted by the psalm that says pleasant in the sight of the lord is the death of the righteous what and then god says this i have no pleasure in the death of the wicked we don't see things from god's perspective we think this is really the big deal the main deal is not the main deal he lives in the main deal and when the righteous die they come into the main deal and that's a pleasant thing to spend eternity with god when the wicked die god has no pleasure in that because there's no more chance after you die verse 32 for i have no pleasure in the death of anyone having established that it's the wicked he's talking about declares the lord so turn and live and here's what scripture promises here's what ezekiel was telling the people turn and live in other words if you turn to god and maybe where you're at now all the energy you have and maybe you're this way and you're heading this way and you might feel god is a thousand million miles that way and here's the promise of scripture you are not a thousand million billion trillion miles from god you are one step one turn and he's right there and the promise that ezekiel gave the people was that if they turned back to god they would meet him and they would find his face 
Jesus put it this way. Seek and you'll find. Knock, it'll be opened. Ask and you'll receive. And he wasn't so much talking about stuff as he was talking about meeting with God. Meeting with God. So the person who begins to seek God is assured by God himself that they will find him. Do you want to meet with God? All you have to do is seek. It's as simple as that. Ever met someone who said, I don't even believe there's a God? Well, would you mind praying this prayer with me? Oh, God, if you are real, reveal yourself to me. Amen. Just do that and leave it with them for a few days. See what God does. Because the Bible's promise is that that prayer will always be answered. The person who begins to seek God will soon realize their true spiritual condition. It's funny what happens when you turn a light on. Oh, is that what was there? And you begin to realize your true spiritual condition. Verse 31. Cast away from you all of the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Again, reminiscent of Jeremiah uh, chapter 31. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Now, you could read this and go, make for myself a new heart and a new spirit. I can't do that. Exactly. And if you read Jeremiah 31, you realize that God actually, and later on in Ezekiel, God promises to do it for you if you just turn to him and seek him. (laughs) A new heart, a new spirit. What's a new spirit? A whole new attitude. Could anyone do with an attitude adjustment? And, And here's, I think, where it starts, and this is an application from this. Will you commit to run life's race well? Do you want to race well, run well? I do. I want to finish well. I want... To live knowing, hey, if today was my last day, I've done the best I can do. <laughs> I've done the best I can do. I want to run life's race well. And if, that's, if, if you're with me in this, I, 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 as I was preparing this, I'm, I'm actually transacting with God myself. I'm going, God, I know people who have started off on the journey and they've dropped off. I know people that started off with a passion for you, your word and your, your house. And then they dropped off. God, I don't want to drop off. <laughs> so I wrote this prayer out. This is, this is, a, this is really my prayer as, as I was going through this. Father, I need your help and strength to run well this race which you've given me. Would you grant me the ability to care for others in a way that reveals your limitless love and power for them? Keep me passionate for you, your word, your house, and your people, knowing that all people are really God's. Amen. That's my prayer. I just thought I'd show you my prayer as my heart was touched by looking at this whole passage. What's your prayer? How well are you running the race of life? Are you running in the right direction? God offers us a new heart and a new spirit. How will you respond? More from Dr. Corbett next week with the restoration of Israel. Finding Truth Matters resources and podcasts, including tonight's program, Our Soul Duty, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. 
Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.